Welcome back to Star Trek Jujurations, the show where I fix bad Star Trek episodes. This season being focused entirely on seasons one through three of Voyager, and we are starting season two. Now, there may not be any um, bad cheese or subplots about the weather or um, a gross old scientist with lonely hot wife. But there is Amelia Earhart. Oh boy, there is Amelia Earhart and an annoying friend slash manager slash boyfriend slash man with gun. Uh, wow, wow, wow. So again, of course, I am Jack Tracy. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at, at Star Trek Zhuzh. We have fun little... Um, uh, videos promoting the <laughs> the podcast, uh, made some commentary on pregnant ladies in Starfleet coats, uh, Kess's transition into a velour Troy, and, um, oh, the, the, the bellwethers of bad Star Trek episodes, also putting a bell on Harry Kim. I actually think I'm going to make that into a shirt. Anyway, we're done with season one, and we're coming into season two, but but we're not quite done with season one, and that's because, as I assume anybody listening to this podcast knows, uh, the first four episodes of season two were actually held over from season one. And as is commonly said to me when I talk about how poorly season one ended with the definitely zhuzhable learning curve, I hear, oh, well, you know, they had other, and the 37th was supposed to be a two-parter. Oh, good. Un- a two- Why have one episode with Frozen Amelia Earhart when you could have two? No. No, no, no. If you can, t- if you can tell, <laughs> we will be judging the 37th. But we're not there yet. Um... Other than following me on Instagram, you can also subscribe to the Star Trek Judge Patreon and get special bonuses like getting this episode early. You can also uh, see the video version. Hi, I'm now waving to the people who are seeing the video version of the podcast. Um, And you are invited to live watch parties where we can all sit on Zoom and watch the episodes together. And Mystery Science Theater 3000 style talk about the oof ones. Uh, so make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. And uh, yeah, support me by um, supporting the podcast. Thank you very much in advance. Okay, so I don't know how many episodes of this podcast are going to be devoted to season two. Um, I'm really just going by how many, I'm counting the Zhuzhs and stopping there so that there's only maybe two or three zhuzhs per episode. Otherwise, I think this gets a little a little unwieldy. So um, this time, we've got the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes of season two. Again, four of which were supposed to be in season one. And um, um, within that, there are three... I think, zhuzhable episodes of increased zhuzhability. I, of course, have notes on the other episodes, but uh, I think most of them are are pretty solid. And here's the thing. I, as I've talked about before, my first Star Trek was TNG, and I was catching up on it while it was airing because it was kind of in 
the the older seasons were in reruns, and I think I was starting in real time, probably season season five or six is when I was like actually watching it as it premiered. Um, I liked Deep Space Nine. Definitely felt it got better when the Dominion War stuff started and they got the Defiant. Um, Voyager, I thought was fine and I really kind of fell off with. And I, anytime I've met a fan, they're like, well, Voyager's my favorite series. Voyager was my first series. This and that. I kind of think, why? Um, On rewatch, divorced from being obsessed with The Next Generation, watching all seven seasons, watching the movies, watching Deep Space Nine, and now Voyager, when you just take Voyager by itself, it's it's a pretty solid series. Certainly better than Discovery. Certainly better than Star Trek Picard. Footnote, haven't seen season three. Um, Because it's not out yet. Uh, uh, I mean, everything's better than Enterprise. Um, Right. So... So I have to say, I have increasing love for Voyager, and I have to I have to give my prior opinions on it, um, a large part of that to Star Trek fatigue. Um, and I could see how if you watched Voyager first, you'd watch Next Generation and be like, oh, it's kind of the same. When, you know, if you watch it chronologically, you realize there's a lot of borrowing on Voyager or similar. It's just, again, Voyager did not commit enough to its premise to make really original different kinds of stories it pretty much just picked up on next gen and kept doing next gen with some elements of getting home where deep space nine was like a hard departure and really did different things for the most part um okay my general thoughts on these on the beginning of season two season two i think is a very solid season um some pretty great episodes i have to say um, the Neelix and Tom thing is bad, and so I'm very happy that that's done. They resolve that in one of our judged episodes. Um, Neelix as a jealous lover makes him seem petty, controlling of Kess. Um, and as you know, I would have judged out the entire Neelix-Kess romantic relationship entirely out of Caretaker and made it more of a mentor mentee you know that he rescued i would even say that he had a part in her being rescued it's all of that was just ancillary that they met on the ship and he sort of took it upon himself to be her sort of a surrogate father figure that's how i think it would have played um but then uh uh, show that he and i actually think it would have given more to neelix because I do think they do this well in later seasons, but um, that the reason he feels so protective over Kess is that because she reminds him of his sister, an innocent who he couldn't protect and, you know, met her terrible end and Kess is his way. Like, I, there was, there'd be some great heart in that that didn't make it creepy and gross because Neelix is an old man and Kess is too. Like some young... Uh, other thoughts. Kazon's are, Kazon continues to be just dirty Klingons. And I know that the writers kind of realize that and we're trying to make them more like street gangs than the sort of honor warriors, but it's still not different enough. Just dirty Klingons. Dirty Klingons. Um, again, really great episodes if you didn't start with TNG. 
never quite hit the highs. Never quite, even the really solid episodes, they, for me, they seem to miss a lot of sort of emotional punches. There's just, they miss them or they resolve way too quickly and easily or resolve with no consequences. Um, yeah, not all. There were some really, really great Voyager episodes, but for the most part, they all feel just just not as not as strong as what was done on Next Gen, um, and a lot of borrowing from Next Gen plots. Uh, we get the first introduction of Barkley, who comes back later. <sighs> if you're going to do a cameo, other than Quark in the pilot, why Barkley? I like Barkley. I guess I'm happy to have more Barkley, but I would have liked to have had him in the Star Trek movies in a, other than just that little scene in First Contact. Why Why did they say, oh, here's where we can have a regular cameo across seasons without it you know, impacting the fact that as, as of now they aren't in contact with the Alpha Quadrant? Why Barkley? Just the decision to me is strange. It's just we like Dwight Schultz. Uh, he was a great cameo on Next Gen. He'll be a great cameo here. It just feels like another, you know, borrowing. Like they couldn't come up with their own interesting, fun, recurring character like Roe or or Barkley. And in fact, I'm thinking of it. They really don't have any. Samantha Wildman severely underused. Uh, I would love to have seen much, 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 much more Samantha Wildman. And we meet her uh, soon. Uh, within these episodes. Um, right. They really don't. They could have used a, an O'Brien. That was the next gen had, you know, O'Brien, Roe, um, um, Barkley, um, these Nurse Ogawa, uh, who got used more and more and more. But these recurring characters that really fleshed out the ship. And Voyager did it really well in the beginning with the engineers, right? Hogan and Carrie and, well, Seska until she left. Um, I mean, you kind of had Jonas, but like these, and that kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm rewatching now, I'm into season five, and that really went away. Or you introduce them only to like murder them an episode later. Uh, Vorik, Vorik for a while, but then kind of disappears, right? Like, like... None of those characters r- rose to the level of Barkley, and so they just took Barkley. I don't know. I don't want Why Barkley? Why? Why? Uh, <laughs> the opener was a dud, which we're going to talk about, um, um, which is my big problem with the beginning of season two. Just if, if this is how, like, hey, everybody, welcome back to Voyager. Here's an episode about... No. No, the weakest of all of these. Any of the other ones, if you're not going to have, like, a huge, you know, ensemble, you know, thing, like, any of the other ones would have been great. Um, Other than this, it's really bad. Also, I could have said this in season one. I could have, but um, I have a problem with the interior designs of Voyager. The Enterprise felt like a home, right? The Enterprise D. It, you know, and people criticize it had a very 80s aesthetic, sure. Or 90s aesthetic, eventually, sure. Um, but it felt like 
lived in because, you know, the ship was supposed to be, a, you know, it had families and all of that. And I get that that's not what the Intrepid class was, but for a show that's just going to take place on this ship all the time, it's so gray and dreary. Grays and blues. Grays and blues. You know, and, and it's kind of my, you know, D Space Nine, the purpose was it was an alien sort of thing. I don't know. It's just we spend so much time on the ship, and the ship is so boring looking. I don't even love the bridge. I don't think the bridge is really interesting. All right. Anyway, let's get to the good. So the good episodes, I think, that do not require require very minimal zhuzhing are initiations, projections, elogium, partuition, end of list. All right. And I think some of you might be surprised that I like elogium because it gets a lot of shit. But anyway, initiations. This is um, Aaron Eisenberg uh, plays a Kazan trying to prove himself. Uh, Chakotay abducted. He needs to kill Chakotay. Chakotay lets, basically by the end, lets him kill him so that he can have his spot in Kazan society. It's a good use of Chakotay. It's a good action-adventure. It's an interesting moral thing. It's a good, I mean, love Aaron Eisenberg. Um, my only critiques, of course, are that Kazan culture is just too Klingon-like to be new and interesting. And quite frankly, this character, Aaron Eisenberg's character, would have been a really great one to return. That should have been an investment in a Kazan situation where, like with Seska, where he could have helped because he owes him something. It's almost kind of Hugh-like, Hugh Borg-like. It's almost kind of... um, I'm trying to think of other characters that they've done this throughout Star Trek, where it's like, oh, I owe you one now. Um, mutual respect. It's almost kind of um, Darmok-ish with the mutual respect. Um, right. I just, you could have, Aaron Eisenberg's too good and too available <laughs> when he's not being Nog um, to not use him again as a as this Kazon. This could have been, just could have been a great, secondary character on Voyager to show up again and be helpful. All right. Projections. Barkley's great. It's a great, like, the inception of it all is really cool. Reality within a reality within a reality. The Doctor's great. The gaslighting of the Doctor was fun. Um, There's real tension. There's real stakes. I really like it. I think it's a great, great episode. But just, why Barkley? Why, Bar- why Barkley? And why this episode for a cameo? This episode didn't need to be a next-gen cameo. I don't know. It just the, the choice of it is a bit strange to me. Okay, Elogium. Uh, thank you for giving Kess something to do. Um, I liked the exploration of... Um, she is met with the closing window of childbearing age and needs to make a decision. Um, as a, a man knocking on 40, I have a lot of friends who, and to be clear, there are lots of, there are lots of, you can have children later in life now, uh, 
there are different ways to handle it. Um, but I know I have a lot of female friends who deal with this, uh, some who are single, some whom just don't know if they want to be mothers, who are in their like late 30s and like feel like, you know, not to be trite with it, but like the ticking clock and like, now is my opportunity. Do I take it? Do I not? It gets harder after this, you know, people who decide to freeze their eggs like that. That is something for Star Trek to talk about and tackle is actually really great. And I imagine this episode was probably more meaningful to women or those uh, uh, those those who choose to who are capable of reproducing, uh, of giving birth um, is what I mean. Probably more meaningful and more close to home for them having to make those decisions and considerations. That part of it I really enjoy. I also really liked coming up with a different way for a humanoid species to give birth. I just think it's cool. And Star Trek is sciencey; it's neat. Um, but again, the problem with this episode is the Neelix stuff. The fact that her and Neelix are in a sexual relationship is deeply strange. And if you want to actually make the Neelix stuff, if you keep the Neelix relationship thing, and you really want to build up the Neelix Tom shit for resolution later, what if Neelix and Kess are biologically incompatible and she asks Tom? That makes things much more heightened and gives Neelix more justification than just being overbearing and overprotective and in Kess's fucking business. Um, I like that. I'm thinking of this on the fly. I don't have this in my notes. Um, it's also great that we get Samantha Wildman um, and introduce the idea of her being pregnant. I really like that. Um, the science plot behind it, the creatures are trying to fuck Voyager. Um, very, very... Not, I said booby trap earlier in another episode, and I realized I was thinking of the wrong one. The other one, the other Leah Brahms episode. We have to sour the milk. That one, um, it's a little that, right? And it's fine, but it just feels very minor. It feels like this is really just about the Kess stuff. Um, Samantha Wildman severely underused. This is a science vessel, right? Intrepid, it's a science vessel. Why why do we hardly ever see the chief science officer? And honestly, similar criticism of Next Gen. Where's the science officer? Like, why do we only say, or there's like a rotating one or whatever. Like, the science officer should have been a more, and yet on D-Space 9, where you kind of don't need one, right? There, we get Dax. It's just weird. Why is there not a science officer on... It's not that you don't need one, but it's less important to the operation of a starbase, right? I would think. So, so more wild men. And also, I always had a problem with this. So she's, and they don't set it up, I don't think, as if she replaced a senior that died during Caretaker. And Harry didn't either, unless I'm misremembering Caretaker. Why are the chief of ops and the chief of science both ensigns? Right, Jordy and Worf were Lieutenant Junior grades, and they um, um, hung out in the back. Right, they occasionally got sort of some train. Like Jordy took the bridge and Arsenal Freedom and this and that. But like, 
they were like lower deckers, really. Why why are these two ensigns chiefs on a state-of-the-art starship? Strange to me. Um, the only time we see, and they're not even part of the senior staff, the only time we see a junior person in a big... Um, uh, in a big like role is the helmsman is Khan. I don't know. It seems too big and important of a job to have someone with no experience doing it. Anyway, um, bringing us on to part tuition before we get to the judges. So as much as I hate the setup and Neelix being overbearing and and the whole fighting in the mess hall, like these are adult men. Like I don't know, adult straight men. Straight men are wild. Um, it just, it's, and in the 24th century and they get into a fist fight, it just feels very, very, it doesn't age well and it just makes both of them look bad. And again, the next thing. So, so other than that, this is a really great episode of the two of them like coming together and like the baby thing, like finding the, the infant and deciding to stay with it was was actually really touching and the puppet was cool and I actually really like I felt this episode had some real emotional punch to it this felt very sweet um I really liked it um other issue with it though Kess seems to have no agency in her relationships right like it's these two guys deciding you know well, I am deciding not to pursue Kess. Why? Well, and it's just like, what does Kess have to fucking say about it? You know, the the they don't they address it a little bit. You know, Kess does pretty much say like, you know, I have relationships. I'm I want to be with you, Neelix. Tom's a friend. That's all it is. And like, these are my choices. Like, they never make her sort of like, you've got to choose one. Like any of that sort of nonsense. But still, she feels a bit like powerless in this and so if you're if you want to say well Kess is only two she's a child then why is she fucking the thundercat why is she fucking the 50 year old thundercat it's weird anyway okay at least there's no bad cheese so what if Neelix in the shuttle what if the reason the shuttle crashed was not because of the environment or whatever it was Neelix brought some of that cheese Neelix brought some of that cheese on the shuttle. And then they crash, and it's the only thing they have for nourishment because the rations uh, run out or whatever. Or the bad cheese is actually the thing that brings the little baby alien back to life. Right. See, and then, then my bellwether for a bad Star Trek episode, then that's a good episode involving bad cheese. I'm still... I'm still bothered by the cheese. Um, all right. That brings us to our zhuzhed episodes. So my zhuzhed episodes are Twisted, Non Sequitur, and you guessed it, the 37s. So let's go in order of uh, two. Um, twisted. I... I see online there's a lot of criticism of this episode that the the stakes are whatever and and Robert Ricardo really hated this episode and they all thought it was bad and it was getting constantly rewritten. 
Honestly, it's a very interesting concept to do a bottle show on the ship because we all understand that, you know, the budget concerns, they've got to do um, they've got to do a certain number of episodes where they're just using pre-existing sets. And I love how on Deep Space Nine, it's always like, we're in a dream and my dream is Deep Space Nine, but it's darker and the angles are slightly off to the right. Um <laughs> Or there's smoke. <laughs> it's a smoky D Space Nine. Or, you know, the the flashback D Space Nines of the Occupation, which those I don't actually mind. But um this is an interesting concept for a bottle episode, and quite frankly, if they would have done my judge to caretaker, which is that the ship has been in service for a while, then I think another great way to do bottle shows where you don't have to build extra sets is to do flashback episodes of Voyager missions in the Alpha Quadrant. Anywho, um, the Sa- Sandrine, is that her name? Um, French, co- French, holographic French cougar, gross. Just gross and dumb. Oh, she's a horny old lady who's after the doctor. Gross, dumb, hate it. I hate the bistro. I hate the French bistro. It's also filmed weird. It's like they, they made it foggy and diffuse. And again, they never committed to a holodeck thing for well oh and so i just got to it i forgot i was like so what we had the the french restaurant and then the luau uh and i'm not counting the herogen stuff and then and then what oh uh uh paris likes likes cheesy sci-fi which again is like the chaotica stuff which again is like why do these characters only if they like retro things it's only our retro things not things of other cultures or things that happened between today and them. It's just, I again, I understand why they do it so they don't have to like create this whole thing that they've got to commit to that this happened in 21, whatever. Um, but it's still just, it it's, does not make sense within the, the universe of it. Um, right. And the fact that it's like, Oh, we just let it happen, and then ha- like the whole answer is there's a there's a some energy field that's that's distorting reality and you know putting people in different places and the ship isn't laid out the way it was and no one can get to where they want to go. Um, let's just like let it run its course, and then oh, there's information on our computer. It must have been first contact. Just kind of, and then never talk about that again. It's just very anticlimactic and. Like, the episode kind of ends up being just pointless, right? But the concept is so good. I do like the concept of just not being able to get around the ship. And then you get to see other parts of the ship, and I I like it. I like it. So how do we judge this? One, just take out the life form and the alien side of it and just make it another one of those, like, we're in a weird anomaly. Similar to the one where they, um, they, they kill one Harry to save another, like that one. Um... Just do it like that. There's there's an anomaly which is warping reality on the ship. Great. The other thing you do is you have it destabilize the warp cord, stabilize the antimatter system, blah, 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 so that there's a ticking clock of an explosion needing to happen, and the stakes are we need to get to engineering, and no one knows how to get to engineering, or the wrong people are making it to engineering who can't actually do anything about what's going on, Um and it's this ticking clock of the ship's going to explode unless they get to engineering and fix the thing. And in that way, you can borrow, because if you're going to borrow from TNG, because Voyager be Voyager in, uh, borrow from disaster. 
which is one of my absolute favorite episodes. I have people, if I'm introducing someone to Star Trek for the first time, I show them disaster because it's a problem, a ticking clock, an adventure, and everyone in the cast has something to do. So you get to really like meet everyone. That's that's always my intro to especially TNG, specifically TNG, but to Star Trek as a whole. That's my intro episode. You don't need any backstory. You don't need to really know who does what and all of that stuff. You just get to watch an exploration of all of these characters working together as a team to solve a problem, which is perfect Star Trek to me. Um, right. So you've got the stakes because the warp core is going to explode. You're in an anomaly. Um, right. You're taking notes from disaster. So I think the solve then is, and maybe in engineering, once you solve a warp core issue, you can then emit the, the field the, or, I don't know, push yourself out of the anomaly. You can get propulsion back and you can get out of the anomaly. So let's have it either that they figure out that there is actually some um, method behind the madness, like this, almost like the Iconian gateway kind of thing, like this one goes here and this one goes here, but if you go from here to here, it takes you here, but if you go from here to here, it takes you here, and have them like doing these sort of expeditions in pair, interesting character pairings to um, sort of map out how reality is now and maybe it's always changing and it's like okay at five minute intervals this leaving the holodeck takes you to sick bay and then the next one is this and then it's this or this depending on if this happens like make it real complicated that they've got to figure out sort of map so they can figure out timing wise you know this is the exact way that we will be able to get the right team to engineering and the way that all once they figure it out and the way that it all aligns, it's only going to happen once before the ship explodes. So you got ticking clock. You're still using the premise. You can pair people off in teams to, to jump around. Um, right. So then have something go wrong. Have them... They, they missed something or something happened, an explosion happened in one of the things and the person who was supposed to go from A to B didn't make it. And so the whole thing is off and they've got to fix it on the fly. And it ends up with someone who is not qualified to fix the problem in engineering. Kess. Um, um, I don't know. Neelix, I guess. Tom. You know, someone with not Chicote, someone with not enough engineering knowledge to do the thing, and having to have Balana sort of walk them through it, and her frustration over it, and having to like temper herself and yada yada, explain it, um, like in a sort of like uh, someone telling someone how to defuse a bomb, or someone telling someone like uh, the pilot died and a passenger is flying the plane and how to like talk them how to land the plane, like that kind of energy. I think it just would have heightened the stakes. You could have made for interesting character pairings. Um, yeah, that is my zhuzh of Twisted. Moving on to the next zhuzhable is non-sequitur. So first off, I have to admit to you all, I'm becoming a Harry Kim fanboy. I like Harry Kim. I really like him as a character. Um, I'm enjoying him more and more as I rewatch the season. So, justice for Kim. I really like him. Um, 
I'm happy that his uh, relationship with Libby, that Libby, it, that it's an interracial relationship. Star Trek tries to do it, but it mostly does it with minority characters. Uh, rarely, I think, that I can remember. Like, Deanna's love interests were always white. Beverly's love interests were always white. I think Rikers, I can't even think of one who wasn't, right? But Jordy gets Leo Brahms. Worf gets Dax. You know, it's weird. It's interesting. Well, I guess Worf and Dax are like parallel because it's not a guest star. Because Dax technically then gets Worf. Um, but it's interesting uh, how the, the – the, anyway, anyway. I may be – I mean to do more research on this. I don't remember uh, – non-white love interest for Janeway. I don't remember a non-white love interest for Chakotay, right, who is a Mexican-American playing a Native American. Anywho, um, but I did like that at least because the, the idea of like Kim, obviously, you know, Kim's love interest is another uh, Asian person. Like I, I like that they at least made it, you know, interracial. So that's that's nice. It's fun being on Earth. I always hate how they light Earth. It's all like, Again, super lit and diffuse. I don't know. Um, Harry leaving, having the ability to be home because of this accident, and it's actually very deep and has a lot of weight, and you really could have explored the concept of, like, survivor's guilt a lot more, right? The Paris Kim thank you at the end is actually very meaningful. I thought that was very, very sweet. Um that basically Paris sacrificed himself for alternate Paris sacrificed himself for Kim. It's almost the kind of a mirror universe episode in a way. Paris for Kim and the Kim's thank you to unaware Paris is actually very, very sweet and a great concept. The bad boy Paris thing, the mirror Paris basically also cool concept. Also very interesting. The time stream thing is meh. The time stream alien thing is meh. I really think there was a better way to do this. And I'm going to tell you what that is. So you pretty much have, in my zhuzh of non-sequitur, you pretty much have two options. You can put Harry in an alternate reality, or you can have Harry change the timeline. Either one of those is better than, well, they, they, he is technically in another reality in, in the current episode. So you can have one of those two things. Or you can be Star Trek Picard and mush them, and then when asked, well, which one was it, you can go, hmm. I don't know. I just wanted Q to be there. I'm so worried for season three. Um, So if you have him in a different timeline, which I guess is what he is, he's in a timeline where he didn't get on Voyager, right? What are the stakes of him getting back? Because it's pretty much just, well, I got home differently and my world isn't that different. I just didn't go on to Voyager. And it's not like my existing Voyager is gone. They're just they're just out there without me. And I made it home. So you could make the episode really about survivor's guilt, and that being the reason he chooses to go back, or the reason he was out and maybe this was, maybe I forget, but the reason he was on his away mission and the accident that happened or whatever, he's got something that Voyager needs, and they're really fucked if he doesn't get back. And then the temptation of like, but I could be home. Right. The other thing you do, especially if it's in a different, if this is a different timeline, is that you heighten the stakes that Libby's pregnant. 
or Libby proposes, and I like the idea of a, of a woman proposing to the man, especially in Star Trek, um, right, heighten the stakes that way of making it real tempting to stay home. Um, but Voyager needs him for something, right? Rather than him just be in some shuttle accident. And then take out the whole alien stuff and just have him have him figuring out how to get himself back, or if he just gets the shuttle, he can hopefully figure it out, or blah, 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 blah. The other thing you do is you have Harry find himself changing the timeline, right? It changed the timeline in some ways so that he didn't go on Voyager, and Paris didn't go on Voyager, and has become the bad boy, which I like. Um, so the, I guess the other one would have gotten rid of that. No, I guess, no, other timeline. You could still have bad Paris because I do like that. Um, but this one, it changed the timeline. And then you make it. So he's home and all of Voyager's home. Voyager never went, right? Or Voyager is out there, Voyager and across the Alpha Quadrant doing their thing. But you find out what happened, that Chakotay is in prison, that Tom never rehabilitated himself because Janeway didn't take him. Or or the or he fucked up at Quarks and didn't go, right? Chicote and Bellano are in prison. Um maybe Tuvok died. Um right, like all of these things that Harry decides that even though his life is fine and he's home, it's better for everyone else to be the reality that they were in the in the almost it's a wonderful life kind of thing. I don't know in the Delta Quadrant than it is for it to be this, right? So that's the reason he... It just adds more meaning to it. This episode kind of seemed light on, like, emotional punch. Which brings us to the 37s. Why Amelia Earhart? Why? Just why? This was doing the neutral zone again, but bad. And, oh, it was supposed to be a two-parter. Oh, good. Oh, great. I would have loved more of this episode. The entire idea of these aliens from the Delta Quadrant going all the way to Earth to pick up 300 people to be slaves back in the Delta Quadrant is dumb. And the fact that Amelia Earhart was one of them, ain't that a coincidence? Well, at least it's this. If it would have been the Alex Kurtzman, Kurtzman track, it would have been, Amelia Earhart's ship was actually more heavily constructed than we expected, and she flew off of Earth and straight to the Delta Quadrant, where she was uh, assimilated by the Borg, and now we've got Borg drone Amelia Earhart. And then Rick Berman said, give her three tits. <sighs> so, No. Why do they do that? God, if you're going to have Amelia Earhart on the ship at all, on the show at all, make her Janeway's holodeck buddy, and then maybe they put a plane together and fly it instead of her and that fucking thing with Da Vinci. Jesus Christ. <sighs> Earhart's boyfriend, friend, manager, agent, boss, whatever, is annoying as fuck, and I really just wish they would have shot him. Um... Now, what what is good about this and would have been good about season finale is the concept of finding a place that they make a decision of whether they stay there as home or whether they continue their trek home. That, of course, is an excellent way to cap the first season. Another way to cap the first season, which they kind of didn't learn in Curve but poorly, is the conflict between whether the Maquis and Starfleet stay together despite all their differences and yada yada. We never really 
fully address that. It happens here and there in in um, little little story arcs, but never sort of overarching, right? The no one in the crew choosing to stay behind is actually extremely touching. So I, I do like that. There are pieces of this, but the whole 37th, the whole reason why they found a human society, dumb. Dumb, dumb. So my judge, no Amelia Earhart. No alien abductions. Just no, no human slaves. No human civilization. Nope, 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 nope. Have them between season one and season two. Something happened to Voyager, and they needed to set down for serious repairs, like months. And during those months, they um, sort of had an alliance with this um, group of people that share the same values, uh, are work capable but a little less developed. Um, they've stayed with them in their homes. They've really done a cultural exchange, and and there are people who are really considering, well, we've sat here for long enough with them. I know we've been repairing the ship to get back on our way, but like, what if we just stayed? Like, they actually feel like members of this society. Maybe some of them, maybe they were there for like five, six months, and some of them, you know, fell in love with people and just like really make it so that they really integrated with the society at a time where they needed to fix the ship. Um, and you have some characters that chose not to and stayed on the ship and didn't even interact because they didn't want the temptation. Maybe characters like Tuvok, who didn't want the temptation to stay because he wants to get home to his family. You know, Janeway, maybe. Maybe Janeway and Tuvok never, like, they just stayed on the ship while the rest of them, whatever. You can also add the Maquis piece of it being that the planet is in a border dispute. And they're they're being asked to, you know, they have to like relocate so that they're now wrapped up in a Maquis-like situation and they are tempted to stay and help those people in the way that they left Starfleet to help the people in the demilitarized zone. So then you add weight there and maybe you even have the Maquis stay for a bit. They don't leave with Voyager when Voyager leaves because they want to fight for these people that they've grown to love. Um... Get the Valjean out. You know, we don't see enough of that. So if you if you do that and then you're like, well, Jack, how do they come back together? Maybe Voyager gets into some trouble after it leaves and it sends out a distress call and they feel the obligation to go. And then they realize, like, we have a fight back home that we need to get to, right? Um, they want to get back to help the demilitarized zone. It, it reminds them of, of the people that, that they've chosen to fight for. Or maybe they find out there's sort of a dark underbelly where those people are going to go too far. The people that they fall in love with are going to use some sort of like biological weapon or something to end their conflict. And then it's sort of like a how far is too far. Uh, and they choose that they can't. The Maquis who wanted to stay, Bellana Chakotay, maybe even Paris stays. Um, since he, in an episode I just watched recently, wanted to help the ocean people at Stanford from Sex and the City. Um, right. And because the, they, they take a step too far, they can't be part of it. And it's sort of heartbreaking. Anyway, that could have been an interesting season opener. 
to again reintegrate the cruise and like put a button on that. Um, or you do what I suggested last time, which is you make state of flux a two-parter and make it all about Seska joining the Kazon. Right. So those are my zhuzhes. Did you like my zhuzhes? Do you hate my zhuzhes? Uh, you can tell me on Instagram at Star Trek Zhuzh, Z-H-U-Z-H. Uh, do you want to support me and, and help me um, pick the episodes in the future when we get off of Voyager? Uh, do live watch parties, see my face talking to you on a screen. Um, join the Patreon, different membership tiers for different things. Get early episodes. Uh, Star Trek Zhuzh, patreon.com slash Star Trek Zhuzh. Um, and until then... Um, remember, no weather, no lonely hot wives to workaholic scientists, no bad cheese, and now, no Amelia Earhart. Ugh, see you next week.